The following is a conversation. It has the features of any conversation, such as imperfectly expressed thoughts, ill-considered opinions, and the notions of several sleep-deprived brains. Try not to get your stethoscope in a twist about it. I think my favorite experience is probably, so Leon and I, like with our friends, we had a couple times where, you know, we just had some like potluck type things where everyone like brought food and it was a really fun time. One of my hobbies, which I was like trying to keep up with during med school is cooking. I and mean, obviously like during like exam weeks, I don't have as much time to do that, but I really do enjoy just like, like, you know, experimenting. Cooking's really fun, and I feel like this semester I discovered, like, cooking for other people is also, like, pretty mm -hmm. fun. But I think just, like, the camaraderie of, you know, having a lot of food, having a good time. So, yeah, that was definitely a highlight of first semester. Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the Short Coat Podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews by students for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcoat.com. Welcome back to the Short Coat Podcast, the show that gives you an inside look at medical school from the students drinking from that fire hose. It's a production of the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. I'm Dave Etler. With me today in the SCP studio, all the way from from Johnston, Iowa, it's M1 Leon Sun. How's it going? Is that right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Grand Rapids, Michigan's own M1 here Hind Al-Kaline <laughs> hey, is also here. He grew up in the mean streets of Des Moines. It's M1 Brian Goo. What's up? And I am from Massachusetts, if anybody cares about that at all. I do. Thank you. You ever been to Massachusetts? No. <laughs> I have. You have? The I've been to Boston twice, and I guess the two times I went, they both had record low temperatures. For Yeah, yeah. you got to go <laughs> yeah. in the warmer months. It's, yep. it's much nicer. I grew up on Cape Cod. Beautiful place to grow up. You should go there. Strong recommend, people. Mm -hmm. My uh, fellow Cape Coders will hate that I said that because that means that the damn tourists will, <laughs> will be there. Because I'm sure like millions of people listening to this show. Yes. Are They're about to head straight to, to Cape Cod. Cod. Well, welcome to the show. You guys are Brian. You and Leon are are new. Yep. Welcome. Yep. What brought you to med school? Let's start with you, Leon. To med school in general. Yeah, yeah. Well, it seemed like a good career initially. I wanted to do physical therapy because I had like a really good experience with my physical therapist, and then I did some shadowing, and I realized like I don't think the job is for me. And then medicine seemed like similar to PT in that I was getting to interact with people a lot and listen to their problems and help them. But I like that there are so many more specialties and like even in primary care, you'd see way more than you might in physical therapy and work with different body systems. So it seemed like there was just like a lot out there and a lot of different ways that you could help people. Sure. What about you, Brian? Yeah, so I didn't really know what I wanted to do coming out of high school. I knew I liked biology. I knew I wanted to do something science-related, health-related. took me, like, a few years to kind of just, like, explore medicine a bit. Like, that was the direction I was leaning at the start of college, but I wasn't quite set on that yet. But I think just, like, I think the humanistic element of it all was, like, what drew me to really getting to know people personally and kind of like you know empower them through you know having the knowledge and skills to you know actually find solutions to their health problems when i thought that was just like a really cool aspect really rewarding so yeah that's how i got here i assume we asked you this question last time you were uh, or the first time you were on the show i can't remember we'll just assume yes Let's, you, you don't <laughs> want to go into it i don't know i ever i mean everyone has a reason well all... i i just like to know all the different reasons i i think i mean 
you could all be bullshitting me <laughs> with your reasons. I mean, for all I know, you're like, because of the money. I'm sure some people out there, but you know, you don't, you don't want to admit. Well, I, if any of us are, if any of us are acquisitive, want to be rich people, I think it's Hind. <laughs> well, okay. I, I don't want to be, okay. <laughs> wow, <Leah. laughs> okay. So I just know that like, like I'm, I couldn't see myself anywhere else. Awesome. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's what that's that's the goal, right? That's the goal. Definitely don't want to be here if you can see yourself somewhere else, because <laughs> somewhere else, because it's not it's so, not an easy path. Yeah. So you've you've completed your uh, your first semester. Congratulations for completing your first semester. How did it go? It's okay. That's it. That, that's yeah. all you're gonna give me. <laughs> I think it was. Let's pretend you're writing an Amazon review of med school first semester <laughs> med school. Wow. Delivery was really good. Arrived <laughs> on my doorstep. No issues with that. I thought it was the first, I think, couple weeks of each course were the most stressful. Because like leading up the first leading up to the first foundations exam, I just like no idea what it was gonna look like. And I fully expected to like fail the full the first anatomy exam until I took it and then I saw what it looked like. Same with MOHD. So I thought that the hardest part was just like getting my feet under me. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think it was just like a little bit of a blitz, obviously. Like, and I didn't really have this perspective until I talked to some friends at different medical schools over break, and we kind of talked about like the pacing of our curriculums and what we've learned so far. But yeah, I definitely think it was like while I was in it, like pretty much unlike any of the other you know classes or like. Just like my time in undergrad, I feel like it was a lot more fast paced, just like a lot more. I was I felt like I was just like a lot more busy at like any given point during the week. But like looking back on it now, you know, it's kind of like my dad always tells me because he's always, you know, encouraging me to challenge myself. But it's it's kind of this like aspect of, you know, you really want to like stretch your stress tolerance. And I feel like now that I've like kind of been through that, you know, comparatively, like, you know, starting the semester, it doesn't. You know, kind of, kind of seems like I've settled in now and I'm kind of just like used to that routine. I think when the semester ended, I was like, well, that was the craziest thing I've ever done. <laughs> um, <laughs> like I, that is certainly true. And it's, I know that with each semester, it's going to get harder, but we're going to grow into it. I think that the hardest thing and the thing that I wish someone told me before I started was like, you have to be patient in knowing that there's going to be a period of time where you have no idea what's going on. Yeah. Like similar to what Leon said at the start of every class, like I, I'm not exaggerating probably the first two and a half or three weeks of each anatomy block. I like, it, it felt like Dr. Pizzamenti was speaking like ancient Mayan in class. Like yeah. I did not know what was going on. I didn't understand any of the images and that was frustrating because you like waking up day after day and being like, I don't know what any of this means is frustrating. And, and, and medicine, I mean, and, and anatomy, I think, is definitely a language all of its own. Right. It I mean, is. It's, it's like comparable to learning a foreign language immersive program. Yes. Especially here, like at, the, at this pace. Yeah. So it, it was just learning to be patient and be like, OK, not understanding what's going on right now is part of the process. It's going to come together as long as they keep chipping at it. Yeah. And that's something I had to remind myself at the start of this week as we started a new block. Trusting so, the process. Yeah. Trusting the process. It's a lot to ask, I think, people coming in the door like, trust us. We know what we're doing. Yeah. Well, we kind of do. We've been doing it for a while. 
actually more than a hundred years as a reminder. Cause like I was just thinking yesterday I was going through, like we're going over the, the brainstem right now or yesterday. And I was like, Oh my God, like GVE SVE, like what are all these different things? But yeah, I remembered when we were going over like the cranial nerves, like the first pass. Mm-hmm. And he even said at the start of lecture, Oh, this is the first pass. And then I got done with it. And I was like, wow, like, I don't feel like I really knew anything from that. And that feeling kind of stayed with me for a while. And then maybe like two thirds of the way through the block, I looked back at like that first past lecture and I was like, I actually know some of this stuff. And I still kind of felt nervous and I was like panicking a little bit. But then like maybe the week before the test, I went through it and I just flew through like that, that module. Cause I was like, well, we already learned this in like greater depth and we did this in greater depth. It really does like build on itself. It takes it's like, time to integrate stuff too. I think you asking yourself to know it, you know, as soon as it's been shown to you is not a realistic yeah. expectation, but you know, the more you look at it, the more times you sleep, I think that helps a lot. Was there anything that you learned that you are doubtful at this point that you're going to actually use? I think I'll just go ahead and take the layup answer for everyone and say the Krebs cycle. Yeah, yeah that's um, the usual. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, no. Yeah, I think like, you know, foundations, the first course we take, which is like a lot of biochemistry, cell biology, not necessarily stuff that's like directly related to body systems, but it's obviously like important to know for the way that systems function or like how pathways different pathways might progress yeah i mean i feel like the the, i think like learning the concept and like understanding that aspect of it is important but you know i'm also not sure like that i really need to know step five of the krebs cycle no matter like what i end up doing and you know i did like hear that they're kind of like redesigning the curriculum next year to have less of a focus on like the details but yeah i'm not sure we needed to go like as in-depth as we did open-mindedness then because i think some people have very definite i mean you know krebs cycle is you know that's a that's sort of as you said that's the gimme one where it's really hard to imagine whether you're going to use it or not anybody else have one yeah, I, I tried to think about this question. And it's like, I don't think I know enough yet to know what's not relevant. So I admire your um, open-mindedness. But I think there's also other stuff that's like, you know, when am I going to... Probably. When am I going to need this? Was there something that you thought of, Leon? Yeah, I, my mind went to like foundations as well. It was just like, especially, I mean, MOHD did build on that course so i should say Um, foundations is foundations of cellular life and mohd is mechanisms of health and disease it's yeah good call i forgot that not everybody is that's all right that's why that's what i'm supposed to be here for (laughs) i think it was important so i do hope they like keep some element of it in there but it was like yeah think it like i don't even really remember what we covered and they they went over some like metabolic pathways that was just like I think presented so we could understand like the language of physiology and like biology for when we actually have to learn it in MOHD. But like looking back, it was just like, this is like way too early to be learning some of this stuff. Like, cause they would go into like a specific pathway or mechanism and then it's like, well, we're not far enough. Like we haven't seen this clinically of course. And we haven't really talked about a lot of like the disease implications of like the system so i i expect that sometimes when this happens it's like you, you it's better to think of it as a familiarization rather than as something that mm. that you definitely need to commit to memory right right now because we're gonna you know like we'll come back to that 
at some point is probably the intention. Yeah, but, I agree. Um, what's the thing that you've learned that you have no doubt will come up often in your career? I think one thing that I learned very quickly was that if there's something that many people do or that is a common hobby or common lifestyle or something that Mm -hmm. you don't know anything about, you got to familiarize yourself with it quick before you get to talk with patients. Because somebody's going to poke themselves in the eye with a with like a paintbrush. And you're going to need to deal with that. Is that what you mean? I I had a practice interview, one of our practice interviews last semester with an SP. And in class... It's a a standard or a simulated patient. Simulated patient. It's basically someone who comes in and pretends to be a patient so that you can practice your interview skills and stuff. So they taught us in class about how to use like the cage questions to address alcohol use. And I don't drink alcohol and I don't like go to bars or anything so i have no idea about the metrics of like normal use and stuff like that or like types of alcohol or anything so (laughs) so the sp like i asked her like do you use alcohol and she's like oh yeah i have like a glass of wine like every weekend with my friends (laughs) and in my head i'm like so do i go into the cage questions or not (laughs) so i ask her and it's like what's that like (laughs) so so i asked tell me more i'm like do you have any concerns about your alcohol use there you go like are you concerned (laughs) (laughs) the wily simulated patient it was so embarrassing i'm like okay i need to like learn about this stuff like quick yeah. I guess you have your assignment for semester two. Yes. <laughs> Drink more? I don't <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. That same thing happened to me because like I, I wasn't sure like when to use those questions. So like <laughs> RSV came in and he was like, Yeah, I have like like two to f- four drinks a week. And I was like, I think that falls under the questions. And like the cage there's like five questions <laughs> and they're fairly intrusive. It's like, do you drink first thing in the morning? which is like kind of an accusatory question because it's like, do I strike you as somebody who starts every day with a drink? So I spent like three minutes going through the questions and then I got done and then it was the feedback portion. That's people was like, yeah, I don't know why you were giving me like the third degree on my alcohol use. And I was like, I I don't either. (laughs) It's on the list. (laughs) Vulnerability. I like that you were showing vulnerability. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I my... Gosh, my guess is I've I've seen these questions and I've seen these numbers like, you know, if you drink more than X, I don't even mm-hmm. remember what they are. It's not my job to remember, I guess. But yeah, like I suspect that most people don't really know immediately what to do with that information or whether or not it's appropriate in that moment to okay. to start, you know, going through the cage questions until they've done it a couple of times and and uh, but you know, it's a thing. Most frustrating thing about your first semester? I don't know. What do you guys think? There's so much. <laughs> There's just so much to be frustrated by. Yeah. <laughs> I think like maybe the pace of the material early on was like, it was kind of frustrating not feeling like I was really learning things in depth. Uh, I was talking about this earlier today mm-hmm. or last night, but like I had kind of a, a system down with like, Anki flashcards when you were when I was going through MOHD okay and basically like I knew if I could do about three passes on each deck I would be able to like get the questions right in the exam 
But then we'd be talking about like, or people would ask me what I learned and I'd be like, oh, I don't know, something about the liver, <laughs> something about this. And it sometimes felt like I knew a bunch of isolated facts that would get me through the yeah. end of the block. Yeah. But like, I didn't really know how to talk to people about like the topics I was learning. That was a little bit frustrating. I want you, I'm going to give you an assignment. I'm going to give you all an assignment. When you're an M4, come back and listen to the show. I like it. I would be interested. I would, I mean, you're never going to remember, but come back and listen (laughs) to the show and you'll be like, oh man, I know things now. You'll be, I mean, come back when you're an M3. You'll be, I think you'll be shocked. I will schedule, send you guys an email reminder to listen (laughs) to this episode. What episode number is this? 443. 443. And I'll schedule it to send in like three years that's awesome unsubscribe already so was there a first semester m1 experience that brought you great joy no oh <laughs> no i'm just kidding um, i mean that would be when, fair that would be fair I, I i did this twice during the semester but like my favorite hobby outside of class is to play just dance on switch i don't oh, know if you guys uh, yeah. or if you guys played it on wii as kids or anything yeah but I did. yeah i love it so much and um i i was playing one time and i was like why don't i bring this to school so i brought it to murph and i just like usb plugged it into one of the small group rooms yeah and i made a flyer and a couple people showed up which was like more than i was expecting and i did it twice and it was a lot of fun and it was i think it brought me joy to like have other people just like walk in for three minutes, do a dance, laugh a bit, and then go back to studying. It was funny because one time we were doing it and then I think they had like medical school interviews. <laughs> so uh. like a bunch of kids in suits like walked past and we were just like wiggling all over the place. And I, I really love confused. this. We should make this a permanent part of yeah. the tour. <laughs> Watch, watch people play just dance. Yeah, just to have them like, it doesn't have to be anything. Just walk by and see like a bunch bunch of weirdos and be like, all right, these people are okay. And hopefully, maybe we got that message to them. I don't know. That's a, Yeah, That'd that's like cool. a phenomenal way to like advertise the school. It's like, look at how like fun our students are. I like, mean, look, just dance. I, I think a lot of people, I think, you know, if, if this pod thing, to, if this podcast thing does one thing well, I think it's like showing people that, you know, you guys are smart, but. It's, it's, you're not superhuman, you know, like you're not like, it's, you're just people, right? Yeah. Going through this medical school thing. I think that's, you know, having people dance around in in the hallways. That's great. (laughs) Should do it in the hallway next time. (laughs) Actually, I'm reminded of like, do you remember? So we had like a, a speaker come in and then she did like, it was like massage Mm -hmm. therapy. Mm -hmm. And then she had the class like get up. And then, like, give themselves, like, massages and, like, move around a little bit in the middle of lecture. And it was, like, an hour and a half lecture. And that was, like, really fun. So, I, I think, like, there's something about the curriculum that makes us crave random movement weirdness and dancing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah weirdness. That's a good point. Like, I guess spending day in and day out studying biochemical pathways and and anatomical structures and what have you. You got to you got to break it up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, there's like a permanent dent in my chair cuz I'm <laughs> in my office chair like so often. <laughs> I think I need to get up and move more.
What about you, Brian? Yeah, I think my favorite experience is probably so Leon and I, like with our friends, we had a couple times where, you know, we just had some like potluck type things where everyone like brought food and it was a really fun time. One of my hobbies, which I was like trying to keep up with during med school, is cooking. I mean, obviously, like during like exam weeks, I don't have as much time to do that, but I really do enjoy just like, you know, experimenting and like whether it's like finding a new recipe and like following it or maybe it's just like some idea that i get in my head cooking's really fun and i feel like this semester i discovered like cooking for other people is also like pretty mm -hmm. fun but i think just like the camaraderie of you know having a lot of food having a good time so yeah that was definitely a highlight of first semester brian i have a brilliant idea <laughs> i don't know ears. how i don't know how many shows you've listened to in the past but one of the things I like to do is make people eat stuff that they may or may not enjoy. Actually, the goal is usually to, to find something weird that they might actually enjoy. I think you should be part of the Shortcut Test Kitchen for these projects. That sounds like a great idea. Okay. And, and I also think I'm like, I'm not very like squeamish about like exotic foods i feel like we're um, not always talking about exotic foods yeah but i think my tolerance in general is just higher we're so. talking <laughs> hot dog flavored desserts i'll be an eater do you know what i'm saying <laughs> okay so just like i guess unconventional combinations then yeah i my sometimes the conceit is like oh i you know like i am more into savory foods than i am to sweet so i want to make I think the first one I did was make a variety of savory toothpastes. Ooh. Oh my god! What? <laughs> we did have Why hot dog flavored toothpaste. Oh my god! I can't remember the other ones, but I was I was entertained. <laughs> Wait, you made toothpaste? Yeah, I mean, we you know we used I used a basic recipe available on the internet, oh, and and, uh, and then added to that and actually went out and bought toothpaste tubes and. Wow. Yeah, I'm not fooling around. You have branding and not labels. Around. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I don't know if the... I, don't, I think there was a sriracha toothpaste. <laughs> I would have done like gravy. Oh, oh boy. I don't know why. Gravy. It's just like, I feel like the textures are like compatible. So it could feel like you're brushing your teeth with gravy. Yeah, I'm not going to say that the oh, hot dog what? toothpaste was... I'm not going to say that the textures were compatible. In, <laughs> in yeah, did you use like did you use hot dog water or like the, the hot dog? That might have been easier than what I did. We used the whole hot dog, including the bun and the condiments. Oh, wow. <laughs> I thought you just meant the like... The, the, the sauce. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> go, you got to go all the way. I love it. When you're doing ridiculous podcast stunts. <laughs> Short coats, we love to hear from you. No matter what. It's about. So call us at 347-SHORT-CT with questions, shower thoughts, complaints about your situation, whatever you like. We'll talk about it on the show. Did you have a specialty in mind when you arrived here? So I personally did not. Um, and I, I didn't I don't really think I had like ideas in mind either. I know like some people are, you know, undecided, but they at least like have a few ideas in mind. Yeah. I was kind of pretty open minded. I feel like I tried to like get experience in different specialties. So I, I took one gap year between college and med school. And so I tried to like kind of get that experience mm -hmm. and see what it was like. So like my job was in an orthopedic clinic, but I also you know, found time to shadow an allergist. So things like that. But, you know, I feel like it hasn't, didn't really like lean me or I guess sway me like one way or the other. But I feel like after this semester, I'm still, you know, pretty undecided. Yeah. I would imagine that's not changed a whole heck of a lot after <laughs> only one semester. What about you guys? 
Go well, what were the two that you ruled out that your parents did? So my dad's a neurologist and my mom's a psychiatrist. And I'm like, okay, sensing a theme here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a, oh man, your parents must have been exhausting. I'm, <laughs> they must have been yeah. exhausting to grow up under. God, I mean, I'm, you know, if your parents, if your parents are listening, I hope they are. <laughs> This yeah. is a slog of a block then. I'm just, uh, I just yeah, want, yeah. I just want to know if they were constantly like, well, let's talk about your <laughs> well, my, your feelings. What's going on inside those neurons? <laughs> <laughs> I, I have this memory of like going into, I was like seven or eight. My dad's a sleep specialist. So oh, okay. he watches, he does like sleep studies. And I, I like walked into his office and there was like a monitor of like someone sleeping. <laughs> Yeah. I was like, what? So yeah. <laughs> just I'm just I I know what I don't want to do, yeah. I want to avoid the brain and maybe like all of internal meds. So it's kind mm-hmm. of a wide swath of things. All right. Did you ever wake up and your dad was like standing over you <laughs> with a notebook, with a notepad? Either no or I repressed it. <laughs> so. like, you wake up 208, wake up. <laughs> Sleep apnea. <laughs> What about you, Leon? I really like primary care. So I was thinking maybe family or internal medicine. It's kind of interesting. You'd be like med peds always thought was cool. Kind of like following along with my previous answer. I just, I like specialties where I'm going to be able to kind of see a lot and do a lot of different things. I had like a fleeting interest with like general surgery, but Mm -hmm. to be honest, like my time in the anatomy lab, like kind of pushed me away from that. So yeah, probably one of the primary care specialties where I'm getting to see like a a big patient base and like be able to do like outpatient or inpatient. Can I ask you a question that I always forget to ask? What is the difference between pediatrics and medpeds? So pediatrics is only kids and then medpeds is like a combo of like internal and peds training. So you're getting like kind of both residencies and from like my brief research, I think it's like one of the reasons it's important is because a lot of like pediatric illnesses impact people in their adult life sure okay. and then there's like a handoff that can happen but if you're like trained in med peds you can kind of continue to be that person's provider so that's one of the like unique advantages okay thank you that's awesome have you found your people yeah okay i guess i can take this question <laughs> first so yeah leon and i are friends and we also have um a lot of like mutual friends as well but i definitely think it's true obviously like I think in med school, the cool thing is that I feel like everyone is friendly and there are always people that, you know, I can see in the hallway and like say hi and have a conversation with. But then, you know, you also kind of have your core group of friends. So it's really cool to kind of like have a home base of sorts, Mm -hmm. but also just like mostly, you know, be friendly with other people, have opportunities to get to know them, especially with like, since we are put in a lot of small groups throughout the curriculum. So it's a, it's a good chance to just like be in groups with people that you might not otherwise see that often. Yeah. But yeah, I think, yeah, going back to your answer, I think it's yes for me. What about you guys? Well, Leon can, Le- well, Brian kind of put me in a Le- tough spot. Yeah, I was gonna- <laughs> <laughs> Leon Leon's was like, gonna- oh, for me, I have not found it yet. Yeah. <laughs> Leon is going to come in despite Brian's, I've been trying said. to cut myself out of our group. No, <laughs> no they're yeah, all right. We, we, we have a great group. I think I really get along with everybody kind of in our, our core group. And then I think one of the cool things that I didn't really expect when I got to med school is like there are all these like communal spaces like the communities and just like the library and, and this is like a feeling I hadn't had since like undergrad when I lived in the dorms where it's just like 
I could show up and just, there'd be somebody who I knew that I could just like chat and have a conversation with. And so I took like three gap years and then I did my MPH over COVID. And then during that time, like nobody was ever at the college of public health. Yeah, yeah. And then I was home all the time. And it's a real bummer here too. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it was like, it's been a while since I've been able to just like casually socially interact with yeah. just like people in common spaces, which yeah. I think is really important for your social and mental health. Yeah. That's why we, that's why we made them. Why we have I haven't found a big group yet, but I've made some like deep, deep one-on-one relationships. Yeah, I, th- I think it's really hard in a place like this where everyone is always doing something all the time to find time to move past the small talk. I think th- I think that was really frustrating first semester because like you could always go study more if you wanted to, and you have to make the conscious choice to be like. Hmm. I need other people in my life, you know. Yeah. So it's uh, true. Yeah. It's true. And that's actually true. The older I get, mm-hmm. the more intentional I have to be about, you know, socializing. And I'm not saying I'm very good at it because, really, frankly, all I want to do is go home and like crash at the end of the day. Yeah. So yeah, if if you're anything like me, you'll find that being intentional about stuff is is important about these about socialism socializing socialism socialism (laughs) you also have to be intentional about about that yeah 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 Yeah. it's also tough i feel like going off hen's point because you know when we're all like in an environment like this it's hard to sometimes you know not talk about school Mm -hmm. Um, and i feel like you know with relationships obviously the way you get closer to someone is like, you know, by getting to know them as a person. And, you know, sometimes it's difficult to do that when you see someone and, you know, maybe they have like a lecture open and then, yeah, then you just naturally start talking about school. So that's like, you know, another challenge that can be present at times. Yeah, I, I hear that a lot. There, there's only so much I want to I want to talk about med school. And then we keep talking about med school. <laughs> that's what I hear. How well did you anticipate the difficulties of med school or at least of that first semester it was a lot like i said at the end of the semester i was like this is the craziest thing i've ever done i did not expect it to be that crazy but it's doable you know i mean like like you said no one's superhuman and it's basically just school like if you did undergrad you've kind of already done this there's just some new things you haven't done Bri- Bri- Brian looks a little unconvinced. Yeah. Well, I, I think it was mainly the point about um, like it being like undergrad. Um, I, I don't know if I quite, ag- I don't know if I quite agree with that because I think like, you know, my undergrad experience, I feel like, you know, like it, it, exams are still, you know, obviously exams, but I feel like I didn't really, you know, spend like, for example, like say here we have an exam in two weeks, like I probably spend like the majority of the two weeks thinking about that exam. We're an undergrad. I feel like I could, I could, a lot of times could get by with just, you know, starting my like, you know, dedicated studying a few days before. I think the other kind of like big difference is going back to kind of what I said earlier about just, I feel like at any point in time, whether that's like during the day or like at some point during the week, I'm busier than I was in undergrad. Um, Cause I, I, th- I feel like a lot of times in undergrad, like when it's like the evening and it's like past 8 PM or something and I don't want to study and you know, I'll just kind of like kick back and relax for the night. Whereas here it's like, I think to a certain extent you feel guilty about not doing work, but I feel like here I feel more guilty and it also has a bigger impact when I don't do work. Mm. Yeah, I agree. It, it's just like, 
it's kind of like this is one of my frustrations a little bit it's just like you never really feel like you can take any time off like I mean we're in the first week of school and I already am stressing about every little thing I do that's not studying and then like going back to first semester I think we had like there's a block in there where we have like exams for like eight weeks in a row mm-hmm. it just I never felt relaxed during that eight weeks and then I afterwards you know or at the end of the block we had like two days where you could try to relax and then and then Monday it's just like back to it so you have to kind of get used to the environment of like kind of constant stress mm. maybe that's being over dramatic but like definitely a higher level of stress than it just seems like to. more atmospheric you know plus um, you're all stressed out at the same time like as an undergrad with friends who were you know maybe doing different things yeah. maybe you know you are all stressed individually at different times but medical school is more rigid everybody's more or less doing the same thing at the same time and so i imagine that sort of group dynamic might might come into play somehow but at least you're at least you're all having fun together (laughs) (laughs) it it is fun to kind of like because like suffering brings people together together yeah Right. right that's why people like do sports (laughs) <laughs> stuff right that's why people jog that's why, yeah, that's why I, people go running yeah that's why yeah. i don't do sports <laughs> <laughs> cannot relate to the idea of wanting to suffer well good I, I mean you all sound very well adjusted after your first semester do you feel well adjusted do you feel uh, hmm it just keeps getting faster i mean like i really thought they were kind of like holding your hands a bit in foundations and like when you're in foundations you're like this is like super difficult but no like i I feel like with every course they're like oh we're gonna take away this one thing that (laughs) helped you get yeah yeah. exactly (laughs) or like oh we'll give you a couple extra lectures to learn in this time frame which i i guess we're growing into it but that means that there's never a point where you can lean back and be like okay i have my feet on the ground you know very Um, positive outlook I'm on the medical arts and sciences committee and the preclinic, they, they oversee the preclinical curriculum and there are fewer spring semester courses than there are fall semester courses. Yes. So I'm wondering if things will actually settle out a little bit for you this spring. I hope so. But I don't, yeah, like I, I don't, maybe, maybe that's just a number of courses. Like maybe the materials in those courses makes up for it. Yeah, I don't know, because like, I thought it would be a lot more chill this semester because we don't have anatomy. So I was like, oh, I only have to like juggle one class instead of two. But it, I mean, that one class is a lot. <laughs> it's a big class. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like, I, I think with MLK Day, it kind of threw everything off. But like, I think on Wednesday, we had like four lectures in one day. And uh, I was yeah. like, holy Well, God. I mean, you don't have just one class, do you? You have... MOHD, yeah, you have maybe. CAPS, you yeah, have MASS. Yeah, Our yeah. other classes haven't started yet. That's oh, okay. Thing, All right. So. Yeah. Got it. Well, as I said, I think y'all sound pretty. You may be pretending. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm glad that we gave the vibe. <laughs> it's all good. Trust the system. I love you, whether you do one way or another. I'm not even going to use the word badly or well. So... Here's to us and all the medical students in the world. In the world. In the world. (laughs) Agreed. 
Shortcoats, if you're enjoying our conversation today, I'd be grateful if you'd let people know by posting a story on Instagram or Facebook or tweeting about us. And don't forget to tag us in your post. Thank you. We haven't discussed news in a while on the show. I found a couple of things that interested me given our past discussions on the show. Opioid addiction, sort of everybody knows, remains a huge problem in these United States, but you know, until recently getting permission to treat patients with substance abuse disorder using medication-assisted treatment was more difficult because you had to get, you know, you had to apply for a special waiver, a special DEA waiver called the X waiver. But that's been suddenly eliminated. You don't need to go through that anymore. It makes it easier to prescribe a buprenorphine, which reduces opioid cravings, sort of helps people get through the withdrawal phase, I guess, of, of their recovery. Um, the MATE Act, M-A-T, Medi- Medication Assisted Treatment Something Act, requires providers who apply for a DA license to undergo an eight-hour training for managing patients with opioid and other substance use disorders. So what this means is if you can prescribe controlled substances, you will also be able to prescribe buprenorphine. So you don't have to go through that extra step. And... You know, the theory is it will it will help to sort of destigmatize opioid use disorders for physicians who are human and who may have their own preconceived notions about, you know, people who use substances. Mm. So I think that I, I thought that was interesting. I, I you know, like I, I'm not sure some of the barriers that get put up bureaucratic, some of the bureaucratic barriers seem like such nonsense when you think about it. I actually just saw that they're holding a training right above us upstairs. Oh, yeah. On on the second floor for mate training. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, I I like that they're going in that direction. My caveat being I I didn't know a whole lot about this issue. I think like even the the name, like the X waiver sounds like kind of. (laughs) It's very interesting. (laughs) Who who chose that name? Yeah. It it even feels kind of intimidating and scary. So like perhaps taking that down will, will help on the physician side. I do wonder, though, like in terms of barriers to treatment, how much of it is physician like preconceived notions and how much of it is like kind of on the patient end, like knowing that they have an addiction, being aware that they can get help and then like knowing where to go to get help. And that's a good point. That element of it isn't really addressed in kind of what we're talking about here. Yeah, that's a good point. Although, you know, I would hazard a guess is to say that most people don't know much about medicine and don't know much about addiction treatment and all that kind of stuff. And, and, but on the other hand, probably most people who have, who are attempting to recover from an addiction have probably tried multiple times. Mm. And so maybe more knowledge, maybe an in, a particular individual may be more knowledgeable about it than, than we might immediately think. Yeah. And I think in terms of like those patients who are like actively, you know, undergoing the process of recovery, this could be a good thing because it there's more providers that they could seek or if they like have to move to a new location. It's well, that's the thing. A lot of people, I think, didn't have the X of this X waiver, so they couldn't use they couldn't use buprenorphine even if they wanted to. Mm. Um, and, and you know, to go through the extra step of getting that X waiver probably prevented a lot of busy physicians from actually doing that. Now that now they automatically just have it. I mean, I think most physicians probably or many physicians just prescribe controlled substances. So automatically having that as part of that training just makes it more likely that they will jump to determine that that's would be useful in, in, you know, opioid addiction cases. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that's what the article kind of ended with. It was like, okay, now, now the barrier is less about making sure doctors have access. Now it's mobilizing them to consider it as a treatment option. Right. Yeah. So I guess that would be the next step. Yes. Basically. Yeah. Yes. Mobilizing them, I think was the word. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it's just like important to kind of have like an awareness of these issues in general, which is why, you know, when I was reading it, I was like pretty interesting to me. I'm not sure if it like quite applies to the situation specifically, but like, you know, I had public health background I majored in in college. And I think we talked a lot about, you know, just principal harm reduction and, you know, not necessarily like stigmatizing the behavior itself, but rather, you know, trying to help people who might have an addiction to just kind of like do that behavior in safer ways. The example being like for injection drug users, we know there's an association with higher risk of HIV. So, you know, instead of like trying to force um, kind of like a decrease in indru- injection drug use, just like finding safer ways, like sterilizing needles, uh, needle exchange programs, things like that. So I thought, I felt like this was like kind of a similar principle. And I think it's just like important for people to have awareness because not everyone might have, you know, heard of that principle or learned about it. Yeah, I think historically harm reduction has been kind of a tough... We've done a couple of shows in the distant past about harm reduction and and the theory beyond that. And I know that, you know, politically it's tough, you know, on the legislation side. A lot of people, a lot of, you know, sort of hardline law and order people are not sort of interested in, you know, harm reduction. Mm-hmm. So the I think the more... Exp- I think the other thing is the more experience doctors have with harm reduction principles, the more effectively they are able to talk about it with legislators and things like that. So maybe, maybe one of the follow on effects of this will be, you know, a greater awareness and thus a greater ability to discuss these things with legislators who have the power to maybe not make things like an X waiver Mm. in the future. For other things too. Yeah. 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 That's kind of cool. Another news story. We do talk a lot about mental health on this show of, medical trainees and the toll that U.S. medical training can take. But there is some good news from a 13-year study of interns from the University of Michigan Medical, not interns from the University of Michigan, but interns, the study by the University of Michigan Medical School. Improvements have been seen in the mental health of new doctors over the last, over the 13-year study period. So typically, or it, it has been observed that there is a jump in depression scores from the M4 year to the intern year. And that jump in depression scores has decreased by a quarter in the last 13 years. And it's attributed to reduced work hours, increased sleep, more feedback from supervisors, and the increased use of mental health care. All of these things probably have contributed to the improvement in depressive symptoms. And that last one I feel like is probably really important. There is a, there is, there remains a stigma in, in, medical training about seeking mental health care. So maybe that's changing. Females and non-surgical interns have seen a larger reduction in depressive symptoms. Um, Intern work hours went down by 11%. Sleep hours went up by almost 5%. Nice. And the percentage of, this is great, the percentage of those seeking mental health care has increased from 14 to 38%. So that's good news. I like that we're making progress in this area. I don't like to see upset people. <laughs> I don't like to hear about it. Yeah, I mean, ideally in a patient-doctor interaction, you don't want both of you to be sad. <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> so. That's kind of important. Well, I mean, what do you, you guys are, I imagine, aware of the problem. 
yeah i've always just thought it was ironic that they you know teach us all this stuff about how to take care of your body literally you know this week we're learning about more sleep you know helps your brain clear toxins things like that and you know then you get to residency and all that kind of just goes out the window (laughs) but not for you yeah (laughs) I, i understand why to an extent because just like just from like cursory knowledge of how the system is in other countries they have like more reasonable work hours but They also take longer and I also get that nobody wants to be in residency for like 10 or 15 years. But yeah, I think, you know, I feel like it's kind of in line with just the culture shift just generally like destigmatizing, seeking help for mental illness and just like more emphasis on like being healthy, like establishing good routines, taking care of yourself. So yeah, it's definitely like something we all love to see. I have like a, yeah, I guess like my take is, and this is a conversation I had kind of in the fall, somebody, or we, we had just had like a lecture on like student wellness and I was talking to, my girlfriend is in, she's actually at University of Michigan. She works in their like wellness center and she was as, and I, I was saying like, well, I, I, you know, I don't feel like all the tips they suggested, you know, are, are directly applicable. And then she was like, well, what, what do you think would help? And I was thinking like, well, it helped not to have like this many classes and this many exams all the time. So I kind of feel like, you know, it's not a surprise that like in an environment where you're working like 60 hour weeks or whatever the hour cap is now, and you're seeing patients all day and you're getting home, you're coming early in the morning when it's dark and you leave the hospital when it's dark in residency, it's like, it's not a surprise that like there's so many issues with mental health. And I almost feel like, while seeing the improvements is great and the increased like uptake of like mental health services is really encouraging and could be an important like moderating factor. It's like, as Brian was alluding to, it's like the very structure of the education is like the most direct cause. I feel like, well, I feel like that's, Mm -hmm. it's a great point because you know, when I've had discussions with faculty and staff here about the mental health issue for years, the thing that was proposed as the solution was, you know, wellness lectures and things like that to meditate you know exercise more this that and the other thing and the structural issues were always seen as a thing like well we can't really change that you know it is what it is but I think this is maybe pointing to like yeah I know that I'm looking at these numbers I would assume that a large percentage of this is sort of the destigmatization of mental mm-hmm. health care for physicians. But I also think that there have been structural changes. And by demonstrating that those structural changes improve things, I think that will probably lead to more structural changes. Mm. Will it be perfect? No. No. I don't think it will be. I think there's way too much to learn to say like, well, okay, we're going to eliminate all these classes from your life you know you can take less classes although you know like i don't understand like in theory it would be great if it was like oh you know what you don't have to do this in four years and we won't charge you Mm -hmm. the amount of money that we would charge you to to go five years say i don't know if that will ever happen i'm not in charge of that so that's our show (laughs) 
Thanks for being on the show with me today. What kind of null hypothesis would I be if I didn't thank you Shortcuts for making this part of your week? If you're new and you like what you heard today, follow the show wherever fine podcasts are available. You can find us on uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, wherever you Thank you to this week's editor, Maoyer. The show is made possible by a generous donation by Carver College of Medicine, student government, and ongoing support from the Writing and Humanities Program. Our music is by Dr. Vox and Catmosphere. I'm Dave Etler saying don't let the bastards get you down. Talk to you in one week. Hi, short coats. Look, life in medical education, life in America, life in the world is often difficult. And I often wish I could help. All I have is this podcast, but in my wildest dreams, you have the support you need to lead a life of your choosing. You deserve to be happy, healthy, and successful in whatever ways you define those words. So if you need support because you've experienced racism, discrimination, harassment, mental health crises, I want you to be able to get the help that you need. And so I'm going to put some links in the show notes to some resources that you can use. But the bottom line is that for what it's worth, I see you. I know you're out there. I wish I could do more. Maybe I can in ways that I don't understand yet or know about. But I see you and I'm glad you're here and other people are too. This Short Code podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at mededmedia.com.